Welcome to Bookish at Bethel. I am Anne-Marie Koyster in the History Department, and I am joined by Carrie Peffley in the Philosophy Department. Today, we are going to be talking with two of our department or our humanities TAs. Uh, one is Abigail Rockhill. The other is Essie Schul. We are going to talk to them a little bit about the era of classical music and romantic music, and they're going to talk to us about some of their favorite musicians from both of those periods and all sorts of other great stuff. So thanks for listening. Well, we are joined today by Abby and Essie, two of our fantastic teaching assistants for humanities and students will be listening very shortly to a lecture on classical music and romantic music and we brought our TA onto the podcast to talk a little bit about music because both of them have extensive backgrounds in music so first Abby do you want to say a little bit about your musical background and then maybe give us a little overview of what students can expect to hear when they listen to classical music yeah, definitely. So um, I guess I come from a pretty musical family myself. Um, my dad studied music music for a while at the American Conservatory of Music. And so um, he would have my whole family, my sister, my mom and me, um, listen to all types of music. And it was just kind of a part of life. Uh, we were raised on different periods and styles of music. And so I kind of didn't have a choice but to just have it in my blood. Um, so I started piano lessons in like first grade. Um, I was never really good at it because I hated practicing it so much. Uh, and then I picked up violin in third grade, which was my first love for many years. And I played saxophone and band in high school and then found my love for singing which I didn't really realize um, I had uh, such a great love for it until high school. And that was the first time I found that I actually wanted to practice an instrument and work at it. And so um, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And now here I am studying voice at Bethel. So it's, that's fantastic. I'm gonna interrupt for just a second, just to say, my daughter is playing piano and she keeps saying things like practice makes permanent. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, the other thing too I'll just mention is uh, I love that you found joy in singing and that gives you a little inspiration moving into practice, the discipline also. And sometimes I think when you find your joy, that's also a way of knowing that you've maybe found your calling. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about classical music. Yeah. Um, so I guess, first of all, I just want to clarify that there are two ways in which to talk about classical music. Um, there's classical with a small c, which most people use to kind of generalize concert music or music that's not pop, sort of like legitimate music. And then there's um, classical with a big C, which is what I'm talking about. Um, and that's the specific type of music from around 1750 to 1820. Um, 1750 was when Bach died. And so that's when historians kind of say the Baroque period ended, even though it's not quite that cut and dried. Um, but that's kind of when we say the classical era began. Um, so, 
I don't know. There's a lot going on musically in, in this time period. So I'll try to keep it brief um, because you've got so many different types of new genres of instrumental music. Um, the symphony is being developed and different types of opera is happening and other vocal works. So composers are really starting to come into their own during this time and like taking things in so many different directions. Um, and because we're in the middle of the Age of Enlightenment and everyone's talking about humanism and the common man, music is no longer just hoity-toity court music for the king. You know, it's it's like being influenced by real life and real people's struggles and even different cultures. Um, and it's becoming a social activity too. So that's why I like the string quartet and chamber music was created so your average Joe could just get together with his buddies and make music in their homes and enjoy themselves. And so I guess because of this increase in demand for enjoyable music, composers are starting to write for a wider audience of common people. And so a big um, defining characteristic of classical music is that it's significantly less intricate than Baroque music. Um, it's simpler and I think more pleasing to the ear and it's very structured. Um, classical music is all about form and structure. Um, so that's like one big characteristic. And then um, another key characteristic, I guess I'd say of this um, time period is the piano is starting to replace the harpsichord in most music. So that's a noticeable change um, that you can hear and music in general, whether it's like a comedic opera or a piano sonata, is all pretty entertaining. So it's not intellectual in the same way that Baroque music was. It's really accessible. And I think part of why it's more enjoyable is not only is it simpler, but it's more emotional. Um, composers aren't relying so heavily on that Baroque ideal of the doctrine of affections and like breaking up all their pieces into little sections based on the emotional affect um, because human psychology is also developing. And so most people by now are like, yeah, that idea is kind of dumb, that doctrine of affections. Like we can feel more than one emotion at a time. Um, this music isn't gonna hurt us. And so, um, yeah, in the classical period, you start hearing multiple speeds and volumes and and like feelings um, within even just one movement of a piece of music. Um, so th I think those are like the, the main big overarching changes. Excellent. Abby, I like that you bring up the emotions and the shift away from the doctrine of affections because obviously that will become even more pronounced when we get to the romantic period. So it's the kind of transition from the Baroque to the, the romantic. So. At this point, I wanna ask the same question um, that we asked Abby. So what, what was your musical background? How did you get into music? Yeah, so um, three of my grandparents were musicians. Uh, my dad has two music degrees um, and is really involved in the music world. He actually works at Bethel as the manager of music organizations and directs handbells and he's I'm involved in the music ministry at church. So like Abby, it's always been 
a really big part of my life and my family. Um, so it was just kind of expected for me to be involved in um, children's choir growing up. Uh, I did do a little company for a K through uh, first children's choir for a few years. That was fun. Um, but my thing is that I've studied piano um, for about 12 years now and I'm a music minor now. Wonderful. Um, so, um, yeah, I love that we have two TAs for the program who are just so deeply immersed in, in music um, and not just at Bethel, but in, in their backgrounds. So, okay, so tell us then about romantic music, the period of romantic music. Yeah, so the term romantic in music comes from the larger idea of romanticism, which was an intellectual literature, artistic, etc., movement that emphasized individuality and personal expression um, and storytelling and stuff like that. Uh, all romantics, not just romantic composers, were obsessed with this um, drama and expression, and they sought to break free of conventional forms in all areas of art. So they still respected the classical idea, um, like the natural, pleasing, very defined structures that Abby was talking about, but people were now looking for ways that they could add something new and novel to previous customs. Um, with the changing political landscape in the West, after revolutions, the reign of terror, the enlightenment, people are thinking different, differently. Um, there's no longer an idealized view of the um, liberty, equality, and the idea of the common people are now super popular and that's spreading into the music world. So the middle class are making music now. Um, instruments are more affordable, so there are tons of people making music now more than ever, uh, even more than the classical era. So what that creates is a huge number of composers and a huge demand for more music to be published. So that makes classifying romantic music a little difficult because there's such a multiplicity. Um, romanticism meant impressive simply because you suited any one particular classic ideal. You impress people by your individuality, what makes you stand out as a composer. Um, you've got people like Juman writing miniature character pieces. And these were uh, short works that focused on evoking one mood or scene over um, a, sh a really short amount of time. Uh, on the other hand, you have people like Richard Wagner, who's producing ridiculously massive operas. Um, he wanted to unite all the arts in the form of the music drama. And that comes out in works like The Ring Cycle, which is a four opera work that takes about 15 total hours to perform and usually <laughs> goes for days. Just <laughs> the bar. <laughs> um, you've got virtuoso performers like Liszt, uh, who's stealing the stage and impressing people with his technically difficult works and performances. Um, one fun thing I like to mention about Liszt is that he actually like reoriented how the piano should be on the stage so people could see his profile better. Um, he was basically a rock star and like ladies swooning over him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, I think part of it was so people could hear him better, but vanity was part of it, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> so lots of um, interesting characters one of my favorites is Hector Berlioz, who wrote 
Symphony Fantastique, which is inspired by an opioid dream, at least as far as I've been told. Uh, Symphony Fantastique has some of the most famous uh, programmatic music in it, um, which is basically narrative storytelling music that would have a program that went along with it that said was what the music represented. Um, and he had his idée fixe or motivic idea to symbolize a woman who had rejected his advances. Um, and in the fourth movement of the symphony is one of the most famous examples of programmatic music ever, where he's marching up to the scaffolding and you hear a thump, thump in the orchestra, which is his head rolling as it gets chopped off. Um, <laughs> so lots of really bizarre things going on here. Um, there's this fascination with storytelling and the macabre uh, and people are just, people are doing what they want with their music. They're not following the conventional forms anymore. Um, anymore. Um, and the individual and expression are just huge. So we can't forget that there are always people like Mendelssohn and Brahms who are much more classically minded. They were composing wonderful works that were less theatrical or melodramatic, so to speak. Um, and everyone was influenced by Beethoven. He was the epitome of both classical and romantic ideas. Uh, he's famous for that. So whether you were breaking all the rules or more of a traditional composer, you probably owed something to Beethoven for laying the groundwork. Um, so while the romantics are breaking free of the classical era, in many ways, and in maybe more ways, they're kind of a continuation of that enlightenment thought of in individual and emotion. Right, right. But as you say, with this idea of storytelling. And I know Beethoven was famous for talking about the fact that of course right. the audience wants to know what I, like that this is about me, this is about my emotions and I should be able to convey that to audiences, which classical and Baroque mm -hmm. composers never would have thought. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, let me get back into the conversation and Romantic music sounds uh, very fun and free, but let me go back to Abby for just a second and and ask her, for you, what are some of your favorite um, of the classical era composers? Yeah, so um, that's kind of an interesting question because um, I... Um, in the same way that I love um, Baroque or Romantic music, I actually um, much prefer, I think, um, certain types of Romantic music. And so I never really appreciated classical music until I came to Bethel and started studying it. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, I guess what I would say for my favorite classical composer um, would actually be Beethoven, um, even though he's, um, like Essie mentioned him as a romantic composer, he's actually kind of a bridge towards both. And I think because he is so vital um, to both types of music um, and was just so profound in the way that he composed, um, I, I would have to say Beethoven, even though that's kind of cheating because he's also romantic. But yeah, it, that's what I would say. <laughs> and I think it's fair because Beethoven, if you listen to like symphonies one and two, 
Um, he's very, very classical. And some of those early string quartets are so profoundly classical, as opposed to when you get to some of his later string quartets, his later symphonies, they're big, they're bombastic, they're highly emotional. So Beethoven is so, so yeah. both. Okay, yeah. I have to ask because Carrie is, is really a huge music nut. And Carrie, do you want to say who, do you have a favorite classical era composer? I feel like the classical folks kind of appeal to you because of the whole, uh, we can do emotion, but we've got all these rules so we can contain the emotion. And I feel like the whole like order and yet some emotion, I feel like that really appeals to you. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, when, you know, when I was younger, I definitely I had issues even with Beethoven, despite the fact that Beethoven still partially fits in the classical period because he was just, he was too overly emotional. And I did not, I didn't understand why anybody would be attracted to that. Um, so, I mean, I really, really love, um, I love Haydn's London and Paris symphonies. Um, so I, I'm, I'm most attracted to say a Haydn um, in the, in the classical period, the, the, the sonata form that's used, it's so predictable and intelligible. And, and I think that if, if you're into, or if you want to get into classical music um, with a capital C, Haydn is a great, a great composer to get into. Okay, so now it's time for a true confession because I feel like with the, with the TAs on board here, I feel like I feel like I can be a much more um, casual in some ways, but maybe because it's COVID-19 and we're all just stuck here, I've been pulling out some of the old music from my piano days and I was attempting poorly to play a sonata and my husband was listening. He was like, dude, this song could have ended about like 10 minutes ago. And I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. So that's my um, classical <laughs> era. <laughs> the sonata form is not well, well loved in my house, apparently. That's, you know, that's a shame because I think the classical, like it can feel like say a Mozart sonata is dragging on longer than it needs to, but it's not. It's because you have to have these key elements of form um, that are all ticked off before you can complete the sonata. So a Mozart is going to say it's perfect as is. Right. I wonder, um, I know Abby kind of cheated with answering Beethoven. I wonder, Essie, do you have a favorite classical era uh, composer? Um, I was actually going to cheat too. <laughs> I had Beethoven um, as my favorite, uh, more because <laughs> a little romantically inclined maybe because I'm a generally kind of an emotional person. So, but that aside, yeah, I would say Beethoven. So Anne-Marie, what about you? Oh, this is a, a difficult one. I, I always, now Carrie, you're going to have to help me. When we used to teach this class, like several years ago, one of our professors was always putting, and I think it's Schubert. I can't remember if it's Schubert or Schumann, but there was like, there was this crazy funky song that, Earl King? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's oh, my goodness. Who, who, who's yeah. the composer? That's really Schubert. Schubert. That, that was yeah. Okay, I love that piece. So I'm gonna say Schubert just because I really just dig that piece and there's a crazy 
wackadoo video that does like some very spare cartoon version of the story to go along with the crazy thingy. Right. Oh, so spooky. So I really like that. <laughs> yeah. And that one is, I mean, it's so emotionally moving, right? It's all about a father trying to help his son escape death as death is chasing him. It's this, it's this compelling emotional story. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, so we asked our, our dear TAs to talk about their favorite classical composers. And I know Essie got to talk a little bit about the romantic composers already. But Abby, do you want to say something about who your favorite romantic composers are? Yeah, so um, definitely my favorite romantic composer and probably my favorite composer of all time um, would be Brahms. He, um, yeah, he's just, he, like as he said, is more, um, more conservative musically as far as, um, you know, he was in the middle of that romantic time and definitely has um, a lot of romantic characteristics, but um, he kind of stuck with the classical form more. And so, yeah, he kind of contained that emotion and just in all of his pieces, he lays it out just so beautifully. Um, and understandably, it's not, it's not all over the place. Um, yeah. And he was just a really cool guy too. Like he, um, he had a great relationship with the Schumanns um, and just some really interesting stuff there as far as his life. And yeah, he was really cool. So I like him. Do you have a favorite piece that you like to sing from either of these eras? Um, I have done a lot more work um, with romantic styles um, on voice because the romantic period was definitely when the most um, vocal pieces, like just short for voice only, um, it kind of compositions were, were coming out. Um, most of them are romantic. And so I have sung a couple Brahms pieces, um, that are really cool. Um, all in German, of course, I think German is super fun to sing in. Um, you know, some people think it's a really harsh language, but it's actually really beautiful. And, it, yeah, just super fun to sing. So I've sung um, one is like a short, cute little piece by Brahms called The Blacksmith, uh, Der Schmied in German. And it's about this girl who's just like head over heels for a blacksmith. And she's just watching him work, you know, pounding away at the metal. And he's like all hot and sweaty. And she's kind of getting a little, you know, <laughs> she's she's liking what she's seeing. So that's that's kind of a... I don't know, a cute, fun piece to sing. Um, and other, Brahms has really beautiful stuff too. Um, they're not all just, you know, little and fun, but yeah. Is, is, any of your material, is any of your material available on the internet? Um, I mean, it, not, so most romantic pieces, I don't think you can get like free sheet music, but you can definitely find lots of recordings um on youtube or spotify um yeah that brahms kind of has a cycle of five poems which is what um the blacksmith and some other pieces i've sung of his are from that are really cool um that go through you know a range of emotions and topics 
So, um, but yeah, it's all very accessible online if you ever want to look up any of it. But no originals by Abby Rockhill yet. Not yet. <laughs> right on. What about you, Essie? You're more, I think, a pianist. Is that true? Yes. And so what do you like to play? Um, I also love romantic music um, and some later 20th century music I've played. Um, I One of my favorites that uh, from the Romantic era would be Liszt's Un Suspiro, which is one of his concert etudes. Um, and it's an etude, so it kind of focuses on one technical skill, which would be arpeggios in this case, but it's a concert etude and it's Liszt. So <laughs> it's a little bit more than just arpeggios. Um, it kind of sounds like there's three voices going on at once and super fast, super technical, but at the same time, extremely beautiful and flowing. Um, which is kind of a signature of Liszt, I think, is that he can do these super complex things, but in a way that comes off as beautiful and sweet um, and simple sometimes. So that's one of my favorites. Also last year, um, one of my favorite pieces I've ever played was Edward McDowell's second piano concerto, uh, which um, has a special place in my heart because I played it for many months. Uh, McDowell is a late romantic, sometimes considered post-romantic, um, but I think he fits under the umbrella. Uh, one thing that's fun about him is he's the only, one of the only American romantic composers, and you can definitely hear that American influence that's pulled into the more traditionally European style. Um, so a little bit of jazz, kind of like foreshadowing a little Gershwin. Um, before jazz is really a complete genre. Ooh, fantastic. So we've got some good recommendations for people to listen to in the coming weeks while we're listen. So um, can I ask then, so normally at the end of our podcast, we ask what's on everybody's nightstand. Um, but we had sort of talked about instead, since we're talking about music this time, what are you guys listening to right now? Um, what's what's getting you through your isolation and this COVID experience? So, Abby, what are you what are you listening to right now? Um, so right now, I guess if we're speaking um, with more like traditional small C classical music, um, I'm really into Brahms German Requiem. It's been kind of like my study playlist that's been constantly on loop in the background. Um, we actually wrote a paper kind of analyzing the first movement, um, Essie and I did in our uh, music history class. And so um, that got me starting to, lis uh, to listen to it. And yeah, I just, especially analyzing it um, and really studying it just makes me appreciate it so much more and it makes it so much more enjoyable. So I've been listening to that. Um, and then a pop artist that I've been listening to recently um, is Grayson DeWolf, and he's actually a local artist from Minneapolis. So he has some um, really quality, catchy songs. Um, like they should be on the radio. So um, yeah, playing both ends. Oh, excellent! Good to know. And then Essie, what are what are, what's on your playlist right now? Um, I've been listening to 
a lot of film scores. I've always been kind of in love with music uh, composed for movies. So I've been exploring music um, from some Japanese films from Studio Ghibli, which I just think is super fun. Um, <laughs> and I think some of the most fine classically minded music being produced nowadays is music for, for film. I know movies like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, um, like John Williams, uh, are sometimes compared with the motivic music of Wagner's Ring Cycle and stuff like that. So I like seeing the connections between what might be considered more popular, not quote, real music, um, and connecting that to the um, official classical music of previous eras. Very cool. Uh, my brothers, man, they were totally into um, not just classical music, but film scores when we were younger too. So um, I listened to a lot of Hans Zimmer growing up. I don't know who Hans Zimmer is. Yeah. <laughs> He's a, very popular. oh gosh, yeah, very popular film score composer. Essie, what has he composed? Like what movies? Oh, um, one of my favorites of his is Hidden Figures. Yeah, he's done a lot of um, Christopher Nolan films. So Inception, Interstellar, and he did the Batman films, some superhero music. Yeah. Didn't he also do some of the music for Lion King? Yeah, he might. He did the recent one. Did he do the original? I don't know. I think he may have. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Anne-Marie, same question to you. What have you been listening to? Uh, my daughter, again, can tell you this. I, I spent a lot of time with my daughter um, in the morning and she knows I've been basically having on repeat a very small song by um, an artist called Foy Vance. And he's been um, playing Burden for me. So it's just him at a little old fashioned piano, little upright piano. And there's a guy in the background with a little, little bit of percussion. And boy, I have been listening to that all the time. What about you, Carrie? What's on your nightstand? Or sorry, playlist. <laughs> it's it's hard to break that habit. Um, so yeah, my playlist, I, you know, as much as I was talking about the fact that the romantics weren't compelling to me, I actually have been listening to a lot of Beethoven. Um, so especially his third symphony, um, the Eroica, as well as the Egmont Overture, I've been listening to those a lot. Um, and then in terms of more contemporary music, I have been listening to a bit of um, Childish Gambino, and Janelle Monet, so that's uh, widely varied right now. I love that about you, though, Carrie. Well, yeah. um, anything? Uh, do you want to mention? Uh, do you guys have a book that you just feel like you just need to let people know that you're reading? We're pretty much out of time, but Abby, any book you want to mention quickly? Um, yes, actually, I just started reading Harry Potter for the first time ever. Um, and I think most people tend to think I had a really sad childhood because I never read Harry Potter, but I'm finally reading it now. Um, so I'm on the uh, uh, Goblet of Fire. And yeah, that's what I've been reading. Same question to you, Essie. Um, for a very informal book group, I'm working through The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> which is just extraordinarily entertaining. Carrie? 
to you? Well, since it's been two days since we t recorded our last podcast, I'm still, not surprisingly, working through James Joyce's Ulysses. And I'll just say, yeah. And what about? I, I, I'm still reading the Dubliners, but quite honestly, now I'm all about Frankenstein. That's our last book for Humanities 3. And I am just enjoying a very nice, slow read through Frankenstein. And I cannot wait to discuss it with students. I, yeah. Cool. Well, that's our time for today. Uh, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Bookish at Bethel. Bethel.